Hello, and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. This week, we're discussing Fraunhofer UK, and my guest is Simon Andrews, Executive Director of Fraunhofer UK Research. Simon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, Gavin. Thanks for the invitation. So most people will know about Fraunhofer centres with respect to Germany. So how is it that uh, we've ended up with a Fraunhofer centre here in the UK? Well, uh, the story for that uh, starts in 2009 with Lord Drayson, as science minister, who invited Fraunhofer to work with the UK and do something in the UK. Over the next couple of years after that, uh, lots of things happened. About 20 UK universities expressed an interest, a big meeting in Stuttgart. And uh, then round about 2012, we were in position with Scottish Government, Scottish Enterprise, Scottish Funding Council and the University of Strathclyde. Uh, with a business plan and funding uh, ready to start. It was round about the same sort of time with the Hauser Report, Dyson Report, and a new coalition government that the UK government was launching its catapults. So it very much started uh, with Scottish uh, core funding. Um, and that was 2012, 10 years later. I'm delighted to say it's been a very successful experiment and we're rolling on. Fantastic. So that's how Fraunhofer was launched in the UK. And the key centre that's in Glasgow is the Centre for, for Applied Photonics. Before getting into what the centre actually does, it's probably worth having a bit of a definition. Um, what, what is applied photonics? Well, photonics, to those who aren't familiar with it, we often draw the analogy with electronics. So if electronics is the uh, generation, manipulation, storage, detection, transmission, etc., of electrons, then photonics is all about photons, uh, the unit of light. So when we say applied photonics, we're talking about all things light, um, that, and mostly that's lasers, LEDs, optics, optical systems, and applying that to real-world problems, to, to industrial problems. And why then was photonics the first centre chosen to be Fraunhofer in the UK? And I guess, why Glasgow as the centre for this new uh, advanced photonics? So Fraunhofer being uh, an international network is, is not new. So there must be a good 30 years of experience where you're quite right to say Fraunhofer Gesellschaft is very well known as a German organization. So they're they on a very large scale with about 76 institutes, 30,000 people, 3 billion euros. But for a few decades, they have tried to extend that network internationally. So USA, Sweden, Chile, Austria, Italy, Portugal, Singapore, all of these places had uh, centres, um, legally independent affiliates, I'm supposed to say. So we're here for the, for the, for the UK looking through a German lens on, on, on why uh, applied photonics and why Glasgow. Uh, and I, I mentioned 20 universities liked the idea of doing innovation better and faster and doing more with industry. So there's some key, key factors in there. Uh, one of them had to be the long-standing collaborations between the Institute of Photonics at the University of Strathclyde with Fraunhofer IAF in, in Freiburg. Um, there was already relationships and understanding, uh, complementary research uh, that was there. So that was a great basis uh, to establish that sort of relationship. But very difficult to establish an innovation centre in a vacuum. Uh, a Fraunhofer centre to, to do well and make, make a difference you need a strong academic research base. Now, Strathclyde certainly provided that, but in Scotland, we're a friendly bunch 
and the universities of Glasgow, Heriot-Watt, Edinburgh, St Andrews, Dundee, they, they all have strong photonics and optics interests. So we were tapping into a rich research base at Strathclyde and beyond. And then Fraunhofer is very much about providing services to industry. And there's a strong local cluster, uh, Scottish Optoelectronics Association, we now call that Photonics Scotland, um, have been around for a long time. So there was an industry base uh, of, of customers to help. So putting the our piece of the jigsaw puzzle in the middle and helping some of that technology transfer, technology acceleration happen faster and better and quicker. Um, we, it wasn't to start in a vacuum. It was to take take a piece of landscape and actually say, we can, we can move this on. We can really make a difference here. So talk me through your piece of the jigsaw as you phrased it. What exactly does the Fraunhofer Institute do and how does it work with higher education establishments on the one hand and industry on the other? So it's a very distinct and very specific uh, model. I mean, I better say at the start, there's a million different ways of doing innovation um, and all have their strengths and weaknesses, including Fraunhofer. But I'll say that Fraunhofer is incredibly effective at what it does, what it specifically seeks to do. So let's start with the university side there. So we have a very strong, deep and real uh, partnership with Strathclyde. Um, the model of Fraunhofer is that each centre or institute is led by a professor in a university. So Professor Martin Dawson uh, is a much more significant player in Fraunhofer than I am. He's a professor in Strathclyde and he's head of Fraunhofer CAP, Fraunhofer Centre for Applied Photonics. So, so my role is looking after the business side of things. So that's that famous 50-50 appointment means that we are anchored in the research base. We have the technical vision, the long-term view. We can see what's coming next. The research we're tapping into is always use-inspired anyway. Uh, the Institute of Photonics is not a blue sky type uh, institute. So that's our anchor. Um, as a company, a not-for-profit company and a research and technology organization, we're, we're here to help industry. So uh, we work with industry in two principal ways. One is contract research. They turn up with a checkbook or the modern equivalent and uh, uh, ask for some work to be done, and, and we do R&D projects. That's that's what we do. Uh, the other mechanism is to do collaborative work where it might be an Innovate UK project, UK Space Agency, we've worked with NHS England, other organisations like that, where you work in a collaboration and a consortium, and we're providing our expertise. We're actually doing, we're, we're all about doing R&D. Uh, there's a wide range of organisations these days with uh, a remit to convene, a remit to... Uh, connect and those sorts of things. We're very much about our employees and our labs doing R&D projects and a typical output for industry as a, as a demonstrator or a prototype, um, field trials of those demonstrators, that sort of thing. But we're, we've got different sides to what we do. So in some regards, it's uh, it's scientifically excellent and there's, there's, there's technology vision and leadership. We encourage companies to go and look for future things. Uh, but we also have to be responsive to specific needs from industry. And with something as technical as applied photonics, uh, there are some times we're working with a laser company, peer-to-peer uh, -peer de-risking an early design, something like that. But more and more over the last 10 years, we've found ourselves working in a variety of different sectors where we're making finished systems uh, for customers. So maybe someone in the, uh, the wind energy industry who wants data out of a box and they don't really care too much about what flavor of laser is inside the box, but we give them data. So the, the business models to have a nice blend 
of you know scientific excellence and applying things very uh, very quickly through TRL three to seven and delivering uh, robust real world stuff for industry. So you've been around ten years. I wondered if if there was a uh, a particular example of a project or a piece of technology um, that the Fraunhofer Cap has worked on over the last ten years that still excites you and that uh, makes you get up in the morning to want to do more. <laughs> um, that that's going to be a tough a tough one to answer because uh, I, usually I say the thing that gets me so excited is the variety of the challenges that one day it's uh, life science, uh, the next is defence and security, then environmental sensing and so on, then renewable energies. So I mean, quantum technologies is probably about half of what we do now. Um, we were very quick to to help encourage companies to embrace the possibilities. As, I mean, the UK has real leadership and thought leadership in, in making QT what it is. It's now a global race, but we've got a very early position there. So, um, I mean, that's incredibly exciting, uh, really taking uh, a whole new level of physical phenomenon and turning those into real world applications. This is taking, um, I mean, real uh, bleeding edge science out of the lab uh, and very complex and delicate things out into the real world and making those robust um so that that's been that's, that's been very exciting in the last few years in particular but uh, for me we've done quite a lot that aligns with uh, climate change and net zero improving vertical farming systems and the applications of light what you're monitoring how plants grow and you using the right wavelengths to to optimize the growth of those high value crops through to cable monitoring for offshore uh, wind lidar systems uh, helping extract the maximum efficiency for uh, generating renewable energy. So, yeah, I, I've I've not really answered your question. It is the variety. It's the it's the range of applications that that gets me very excited. No, that's fair enough. And there's clearly a, a huge amount of different things going on. Just digging briefly into the quantum technology side, since you said that was about half of what you do. Where are we in terms of? getting those technologies actually into the marketplace. Are they already there? And did I miss them? Or are we very close to a revolution, but it's a few years out? What would you say is the, the position? Uh, yeah, there, there, there are quite a few uh, products already on the marketplace. Uh, you can buy a, a quantum key distribution system, end-to-end uh, -end, uh, fiber optic comms that are intrinsically secure and unhackable. Uh, several people will sell you such a system. Uh, some companies are, are selling magnetometers, so a benchtop device looking at uh, very precision uh, magnetic fields on a small scale examining materials. There's a wonderful new brain scanner uh, I just saw recently over, over, over in Berlin. Um, so these things are coming through as, as finished products and systems. But I would also say that the, the supply chain is developing, that uh, especially through the, the, the Innovate UK, um, we're very, very quick off the mark with the, the Industrial Strategy Challenge Fund in, in quantum tech, um, which sits very nicely alongside EPSRC's uh, academic hubs. And for those that don't know quantum at all, that the, the hubs are in sensing, imaging, communications, and computing. So when we say quantum tech, we're talking about a very, very broad range of uh, of, of areas. So we're involved in all of those. Uh, we, we're, we're working with more industrial partners uh, in, the, in the ISCF than anyone else in the UK. We really are embedded in this. So we see the, the variety of things coming through. A lot of the sales of components and subsystems are to other scientists uh, and other people exploring things. But that is a very natural evolution of such a, an early disruptive uh, emergent technology. 
in, in large lasers, about 25% of, of laser sales are to scientists. So some people might turn their, their, their nose up at uh, scientific type products being sell, sold to scientists, but actually it's a very real and valid market in itself. So uh, very fast moving, supply chains building up and everyone on a journey to take the incredibly complex systems and boil them down to uh, much more uh, monolithic, robust, compact, uh, usable systems. So you mentioned Innovate UK there uh, as part of your remark and the Industrial Strategy Challenge Fund. I'm interested because Scotland itself is fairly soon going to be publishing its own innovation strategy. And I'm just wondered as somebody in Scotland definitely doing some of this innovation work, what are the kind of things that you'd like to see inside a sort of a Scottish innovation strategy? Oh, well, it's uh, it's only a matter of weeks, I'm told, until we actually see the document. And there's some, uh, I'm sure there'll be some uh, corresponding uh, things that align also with the, the thinking across the UK, not, not expecting any enormous surprises. I think on a Scottish level, we've seen a very, very enthusiastic push to uh, a sustainable uh, economy, uh, a fair economy, uh, a renewable economy. We have uh, you know, an oil and gas industry that we've already seen take great strides uh, in, in using this subsea engineering expertise being applied to offshore renewable energy. Uh, that's moved very quickly. I think we'll see a lot of emphasis in this document on the oil and gas skills being transferred into a hydrogen economy. Um, and I think that's really that's really big and really important from a selfish point of view. Um, I've, I've no doubt that uh, there's a strong uh, photonics and quantum cluster in central Scotland. And I think uh, we'd, we'd expect that uh, Scottish government's existing investments into ourselves and to other organisations will be doubled down on. I've, I've seen that as well in other documents saying, let's let's continue to back what succeeds um, and not just invent new things for the sake of it. Scotland's been quite experimental, uh, if I may say so, in, in developing things like Frown Offer and uh, the innovation sensors, uh, centres, I should say, people like Census, uh, the, the Data Hub, uh, iBioIC, looking at industrial biotech, um, those have been quite bold and experimental, and I would expect to see re reinforced investment or re reinvigoration of those sorts of things as well. Every time anyone talks about innovation, the next word is skills. So I hope the innovation strategy will undoubtedly confirm uh, what's happening in the in the skills area. There's a STEM strategy document that Scottish government produced with uh, terrific input from from colleagues I know, Sheila Rowan and others will be well known. Uh, in framing that STEM agenda for Scotland, I, that, that's going to be vital for an innovation strategy. And the one small part in that I would I would highlight, it's a very comprehensive document. And one aspect I've considered is going all the way back and saying, are, are our nursery teachers confident in how they teach science? And rather than have a parachuted in one day science lesson, uh, part of the strategy is to put people in to train the nursery teachers to be more confident in delivering science themselves, you know, is the, is the teacher man to fish type philosophy. So if we can have a wholehearted, long-term committed view on, on innovation uh, at, at a Scottish level and a UK level, I'll, I'll be delighted. And since you mentioned skills in the area in which your centre is most focused on in, in photonics, do you see an issue with getting the skills that you need in order to produce the kind of work, or are there plenty of plenty of photonics engineers in Scotland? 
Uh, we're, we're very fortunate. There's a, a very healthy base of photonics engineers, laser physicists, etc., in Scotland, and the the rapid uh, adoption of the quantum stuff uh, in Scotland, I should say, is mostly based on existing photonics and laser companies embracing this as a new opportunity rather than, than startups. So, if we look at the growth ambitions, Photonics Scotland have a vision document trying to treble the size of the Scottish photonics sector by 2030. Uh, I spent most of the morning uh, the other day with uh, those interested in quantum. Uh, the Scottish quantum cluster is called uh, Glentanglement, uh, a little joke about the Glen of quantum entanglement. Um, so we were framing uh, the document on, on skills there. Part of the conversation, maybe surprisingly, maybe not, was that to make a quantum system or a, or a laser system doesn't need everyone to be a laser or a quantum expert. And our, our forecast on where the greater skills needs will be are in mechanical engineering, electronic engineering, systems engineering, software engineering. Uh, and those skills are in great demand by everyone, of course. So I think the skills are here just now. I think the growth ambitions of the sector uh, in this cluster and across the UK are such that we would, we would all be calling for government to make sure that we have a very healthy supply uh, domestically um, and being able to recruit internationally uh, in a wide range of engineering disciplines and, and business uh, disciplines as well. But yeah, there's been, I think there's been good support for uh, PhD laser physics, PhD quantum folk. Uh, there's new master's courses popping up in quantum. Uh, an interesting debate as to whether the word quantum is either uh, super exciting and attractive um, or a little bit daunting uh, to young people. But uh, hopefully, like you say, you know, these new products coming through, uh, the prospect of quantum computing will be really attractive and we'll be uh, getting some really uh, fantastic young people enthused in, into the industry. Brilliant. We're coming towards the end, but I want to ask you one more question. I know that Fraunhofer Research UK has had its uh, 10th birthday this year. So looking forward for the next 10 years, where do you think you will be at the end of that period? Well, all things going well with uh, ongoing support from Scottish government. And uh, we're also discussing uh, further support from, from UK government. Our, our model depends on a certain amount of core funding, which leaves us born hungry. And then we have to go and win lots of that other stuff I was talking about, those direct contracts from industry and those collaborative projects. We can see a huge amount of demand. So what we have here in Glasgow just now, there are about uh, 70 to 80 of us altogether, if we include the cat. The vast majority of those are PhD level people. Seeing that more than double in the next five years and double in the five years after that, Fraunhofer Institutes in Germany are typically around the 500 people sort of level. And I do think that the UK has got strong enough photonics industry and uh, rapidly emerging uh, quantum industry that there would be industrial demand um, and global opportunity uh, that would say that we should be able to supply an innovation organization like ourselves to, to help those industries uh, maximize their innovation as quickly as possible. So, yeah, I'm making arguments to government just now that the demand is there, the opportunity is there, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll play our part as we should uh, in helping get this fantastic research through, through to industry, through to the, the for-profits and the commercial partners for the benefit of the, the UK economy. That's, that's what our role is. Fantastic. Well, let's see how receptive government are to that and how Fraunhofer develops over the next five and 10 years. Uh, that's all we've got time for. But uh, Simon Andrews, thank you very much. Thanks very much, Gavin. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guest this week was Simon Andrews, Executive Director of Fraunhofer UK Research. 
The topic of an innovation strategy for Scotland was discussed at an event run by the Foundation on the 7th of November 2022, and a recording of that event with all the slides can be found on our website at www.foundation.org.uk forward slash events. Also on our website are details of all our other events, all our blogs, and all previous editions of this podcast. Until next time, goodbye.